Shop Life. Julia, how are you today? Um, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. All right, we've got a really interesting question coming up. Um, the history of Ukraine, territorial and demographic control. Who the hell does it belong to? All right. <laughs> so first of all, although I'm Ukrainian, I haven't been born with the microchip that just applauds all the information about history in my head. So some of the things I sort of remember, but uh, I might be wrong. So in case someone who knows history listens to that, I'm apologize for any mistakes. In terms of who it belongs to, I always thought that um, Ukrainian territory is sort of like a musical chair where the surrounding empires and countries just try to invade this and at different times they sit on these chairs and uh, if you go through the history or since we had the Kiev rules it'd been just constantly passing from one country to another and uh, Ukrainians just tried to fight whoever sat on the chair uh, but obviously trying to keep um, the couch and um, the sort of bits of history that they consider Ukrainian and they pass this through. No, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned there the Kiev and Rus. I mean, they, I think in terms of history, they probably occupied the territory for the longest period of time, but there's been so many other states of control. I mean, you know, you got Russian Empire, Lithuania, Golden Horde, Polish, Lithuanian Commonwealth, Ottomans, you know, Mongols, everyone, there's so many. So, it is a really interesting question. And when you look at the history of Ukraine, it's very young as an independent country. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at the size as well, it's pretty big. Um, how does it vary within its borders in terms of people's sense of belonging? Because there must be so many historical and cultural divides based on its history of you know, all these borders that we mentioned. So... I, th I think it's fair to say that um, we consider um, Ukraine, we split the Ukraine in our minds into Western and uh, Eastern. So Eastern uh, is always was considered part of Russia um, and more pro-Russian, whilst Western was uh, more into the Europe, uh, Poland and uh, those uh, countries. And from my view, the people differ a little bit as well. I can't explain why, but it's sort of um, when you talk to the person and then when you find out where they're from, you sort of see this uh, hints uh, that, oh, yeah, yeah, that does make sense. I, I, I can't explain what it is, but um, you definitely can sense that. And yeah, you're right. It's uh, been absolutely crazy times. And um, I, quite, I think why we like to think of ourselves as Ukrainian, um, actually because of Kiev Rus, because um, of how powerful it was, how large it was. So when there was a Kiev Rus, there was, there was no such concept of Russia, Moscow, whatever, or Belarus. It was one massive, um, I don't know, can I call this empire? I think I can. Mm, um, yeah. And um, I know that what we were, um, what we learned in school. So obviously we learned a lot about the princes of uh, Kiev Rus and their relationship. And it was like early Ukrainian Santa Barbara. Uh, but apart from that, um, there was quite interesting to see how powerful it was on European arena. Uh, because um, for example, uh, daughter of one of the prince was married to French king. And um, the letters that she sent back home was, oh my God, uh, French people are so, 
uh, uneducated, terrible, they're absolutely barbarians comparing to, <laughs> to, um, to Kiev rules. And that just gives a sense of proud of what we used to be and how powerful we were. But then obviously after that, we, um, that's when the musical chair starts. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it there, the Russians didn't come in until quite late on. I mean, looking at this list I've got here, just, you know, some of these little empires, which they, they didn't control the whole territory of Ukraine, but definitely aspects. I mean, you've got Bulgarian empires, the Byzantine, Mongols, Golden Hordes, like I mentioned, Lithuania, Poland, Hungary, Crimean, Kenai, Ottoman, the list goes on. And then you finally get the Grand Duchy of Moscow, which is even before the Russian Empire or anything. So it is really interesting to, have, to see sort of how, how separate it was from Russian hands, you know, looking all the way back 3,000 odd years ago. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's crazy, right? Well, yeah. So um, I can go through that uh, quickly if you want from what I know, but again, I can be wrong. Um, but yeah, um, so um, after the Kiev Rus, uh, well, during the Kiev Rus, um, the main event that sort of um, impacted all further ones was when Ukraine, um, Ukraine got uh, Christianity and became Orthodox. And um, that is a very, very key because in future wars, um, Ukrainians try to protect their Orthodox church so much that they didn't want anything else. And most of the fights were actually religion fights, unsurprisingly, uh, for the world history. Um, so uh, after the uh, so basically, when the Kiev Rus was powerful, as it sometimes happened, the smaller territories under Kiev Rus decided, oh, actually, we want autonomy and we want to run our own things. And then it just started breaking apart, as it happens with many empires. So we weren't unique in that. Um, and it would be fine. Potentially, we might have some smaller chunks. Some were what is uh, considered, uh, some of the parts were what is uh, modern Russia. Some of them were what is modern Belarus. But... I think it it was okay, and that's what naturally happens until Mongols came. So, as far as I understand, the Mongols just basically took everything. So that was the first time when Ukraine was completely concorded um, by Mongolians, and then it just happens that um, Lithuania and Poland Commonwealth just uh, bet Mongolians. And whilst they bet Mongolians, they decided, hey, we'll check the territory, which is fair enough. But um, it wasn't such thing as Russia uh, then. So sorry, I probably need to put some timelines on that. Don't, don't <laughs> I? So um, I think by um, and twelfth. Uh, so um, I believe nine to eleventh century. That's why we had Kiev Rus. Then a twelfth century Mongols came, and uh, uh, and um, I don't remember what century exactly Lithuanian uh, and Polish people beat uh, Mongolians. I believe it was thirteenth century as well. Again, sorry, I, I don't remember that very well. But no, that's fine. Um, that's fine. It's a but difficult timeline. Yeah, and but that's just to give the um, indication. Okay, and um, after that, um, well, um, after that, there were just a couple of events that sort of um, led to um, Russia starting looking into Ukraine. So uh, I think uh, the Polish and Lithuanian Commonwealth was uh, concorded as well by Prussians and Russians. And whilst they uh, took it, Russia thought that the territory that belonged to the, um, this commonwealth is now theirs. Again, fair enough. 
Um, so that was just a small part uh, that belonged to Poland, which um, uh, which left in the Ukraine. So if you think about that, if you look at the map of modern Ukraine, then first all of that were Mongolians, then all of that was, I think, Polish and Lithuanian, uh, Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, and then um, after this invasion, then Russia stepped in and chopped most of the part of Ukraine uh, up until, well, most eastern part and central part and left uh, just small chunk with Polish people. And um, again, I might be wrong, I hope I'm not. Um, are you still interested? Oh, 100%. We're all listening, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, so when that happens, uh, so obviously there was no such thing as Lithuanian Pol and Poland um, so as a separate part, so that it was all Polish people. So Polish people came along and said, hey, now you, uh, we want, because we own your territory, we want you to be more Polish, so we want um, you to take um, um, Catholicism. Mm -hmm. and um, our culture. So most of the nobles of Ukraine were, okay, yeah, that's fine, we'll brown nose you and we'll take wherever it requires to um, assimilate uh, to part of Poland. First, um, peasants decided, oh no, fuck that shit, we are not going um, to um, be Catholics uh, because for whatever reason, I don't think there is a massive difference between Catholic and Orthodox Church, but um, I think the way uh, Catholicism tried to be put on the people, that's what was very painful. Um, so this uh, guys decided that um, they, they're going to fight. And at this point of time, you look at the map, east of Ukraine belongs to Russia, Western, Western Ukraine, who is Orthodox, um, Western um, Ukraine belongs to the um, Polish people who tried to bring Catholicism. And um, down the line, you have uh, Ottoman Empire. So these guys just settle right in the middle and um, that's where our another um, part of history we proud of starts, which is the Cossacks time. Um, I think they call this Hetmanat. I'm, I'm not sure about the, okay. um, yeah. the terminology, but um, the idea was that um, it was like military part who fought, uh, who actually against all of three parts around, um, around them. So do these um, Cossacks you, you just mentioned, right? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so they're, they're the people who were like, you know, they were like the skilled horsemen, if you like. Um, they kind of live freely. What? Skilled horsemen? Yeah. Like that was yeah. their kind of, yeah, they kind of live freely as outlaws, like in yeah. separate parts of, you know, Russia and Ukraine. Because they were, yeah, I mean, they were within the Crimean Khanate and Kiev Khanate, I believe, and loads of areas, but they were free people at the end of the day, right? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they had their own like I can't. I don't know what I can um, call this country, but they have their government. They have their hierarchy, which, mm. in my opinion, is quite impressive considering that people who became Cossacks were um, ex-peasants, and yeah. uh, they just um, when they get together, they manage to build this hierarchy, which, um, from what I remember, to school was quite um, democratic. Mm, comparing okay. to um, how people lived under the empire. So in their hierarchy, you could progress only if you are elected 
on all of the levels and you need to be well respected on all of the levels to um, actually when I said um, when I said it was quite democratic the first constitution in the world was created um, as part of the hetmanate in Ukraine by one of the hetmans no way yeah and that's where the first um, track of um, uh, rules uh, rights of people and things like mm -hmm. that they were um, written and that's what dictated the way Hetmanat um, ruled and that's why we are so proud of that because yeah. um, we had this in place I, I can't say that Cossacks were all nice people because you know, you have a lot of men uh, who are doing military living in one place. So um, I don't think all, all of that was sunshine and rainbows. No, of um, course. But I mean, go, going back to the Cossacks, so you said they, they were free people. They lived in certain territories across Russia, Ukraine and all these areas. And they, they did actually get involved when, when their sort of way of life or their land was being threatened. They would almost join up with different armies right whether they join up with the Russians or um, Polish or whoever um, to actually save their way of life and certain parts of the land and that's I think that's the reason maybe why they remain so free for so long like within these interchanging empires you are very right on that um, so yeah they were in the middle but then they were surrounded from all from all the sides so they needed uh, to have someone to support them and that's yeah. where protection from Russia comes on area which could um, everything. No, no one saw forward. those air quotes. Let's just tell the listeners there was a massive air quotes going on just there with the protection from Russia. <laughs> yeah, well it started as a protection. It's like, like well, you Orthodox, we Orthodox, let's be French and beat Poland, Polish people and whoever. <laughs> and uh, um, um, so they and it was called protection so they have their country under Russia basically they don't fight Russia and things like that but um, because I quoted protection um, it doesn't make sense to have this quoted because Russia decided that um, well you know why uh, why do we need to protect some land if we can actually have this land um and that's um where fun begins and um it started slowly as far as i remember so russians just um were saying um you can't uh, well they tried to limit language culture and things like that uh but then there were period i think when catherine the great uh she just wiped off all the cossacks and um, officially, that's when, um, well, that's where Ukraine became small Russia and more like their ag agriculture um, area where, you know, the like peasants, peasants part of Russia. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, just, um, sorry, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I was just going to say on that point, Catherine the Great, you mentioned. Um, and you said small Russia, um, what was, so there was a term of areas of land called Novorussia. Yeah, right? that's is that correct? So can you explain something about that? Because I know in recent, more, more modern history, that term has sort of been reintroduced by Putin himself um, in certain, certain states or areas in, within Ukraine. And it's been perceived to be quite um, sort of, well, it's, Offen it's not, offensive yeah basically so i just want to know if you know much about that and like, like we mentioned catherine the great i think was the first person to introduce that term um can you give us a bit of background on that um i think um so we call the smaller russians which is like small russians uh but um i think 
it is offensive because um, people take this as you're not fully Russians. So you're like not normal people. Um, and uh, yeah, Ukraine was always considered as um, this not proper people land and, you know, something um, like the colony of empires potentially, but it was not um, good treatment. And um, Russians will use this a lot. And we know that they use this lot, and but um, it just, uh, yeah, it is quite offensive. So I don't like when we call it like that. But when you go to the <laughs> Russian literature, um, this term is quite popular. So yep. when they refer to language or to traditions, quite a lot of time they just use that. Mm, interesting. Um, and it, sorry, go on. Um, and even in the... So in Russian, uh, when you say um, in some country, you just say, um, I'll use Russian words because I don't know how to explain that better. Uh -huh. So you use uh, the preposition V, like if it's in proper, proper country, proper land. Um, when they talk about Ukraine, they use NA, which means like um, that sort of part of land is not its uh, own country. And, uh, it, uh, pieces of your modern Ukrainian so much because they think that that's a completely unfair real own country should be treat, treated properly. But um, I understand Russians, they don't do this intentionally, it's just the rules of Russian language. And wherever it is for Ukraine, they have this preposition. So I think it's quite a funny one. And um, when you have patriots from Ukraine, they're like, oh my God, never use that. You should use this proper one. So I think it's quite interesting one how the small preposition just um, dictates people um, being against each other mm. very very interesting stuff um, I want to go back to my original question I know I know you kind of answered it but I want to sort of go into more detail um, mm -hmm. the divides across the country now we sort of had a little history lesson from yourself about the mm -hmm. different empires and occupying forces within different regions of Ukraine um, how does that relate to modern day Ukrainians in the sense of do they feel a certain, I don't know, do they have a, a demographic or a historical ancestry ties towards, I don't know, like maybe Polish, Lithuanian Commonwealth or Ottomans or, you know, Russians, obviously, uh, Cossacks even, and all this, these different people do, are they aware that this is their sort of heritage? And does that come about in their sort of mannerisms, their way of life, their, maybe the accent, the language, even appearance? Is it really, because obviously looking at the map is so diverse, do you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. a plethora of different empires and people over the history that I'm just trying to see now modern day Ukraine, how does that come into fruition like on the surface? How does it, does it all? Um, I'm going to express just my opinion, just to be clear, but um, I think, um, as I said, the eastern part of Ukraine is more pro-Russian. Most of the people speak Russian and they don't want to join Europe or um, European Union. They want to be part of Russia and uh, not part of Russia, officially potential, or maybe, uh, but uh, be, in, um, be closer to Russia than to Europe. Whilst... Um, Western part, uh, most of them speak um, Ukrainian. Um, they uh, want to be part of Europe. Uh, they absolutely hate Russia. Um, and they all about Ukrainian language, Ukrainian culture and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's the uh, biggest difference. But I think center, is, uh, center of Ukraine is more pragmatic. 
So there are a lot of people who speak both languages mainly, and uh, but Santa understands that um, it's probably better for the country development to go towards European side uh, rather than Russia. But um, considering those differences and um, considering that uh, speaking Russian mainly on the eastern part, that's when Russia decided that. Um, well, maybe it's uh, still time to take those parts back to Russia where they think they belong. Yeah, interesting. I mean, would you be able to tell if someone was from, just from talking to them straight away, would you be able to tell if they're from sort of opposite ends of the country, maybe East and West, just by yeah. talking to them? Not, not about politics, but just straight away talking to them. Uh, yeah, so uh, people from Western, Western, they have quite distinguished accent. Um, so it's sort of, and their Ukrainian is so good um, that, that you sort of recognize them straight away. Whilst uh, people from um, Eastern regions, they, they just speak Russian. They, so it's a funny one because, so when someone speaks, so I speak Russian just because that's the, um, the language of my family, but I, I can't speak, um, I understand Ukrainian perfectly well. I can't speak Ukrainian, so if I start speaking Ukrainian for the first couple of months, it probably will sound like a robot um, because of the accent and um, me trying to find the right words, words to express myself. Um, so I think most of the people from the center are the same. So even if they are, from the, well, people from the center, they will be the same. So for example, sometimes if someone speak Ukrainian to me, by default, I sometimes can reply Ukrainian or use Ukrainian words. So that's how I understand people are from center. Uh, people from um, Eastern regions, they, they will never do that. They might not know, even know Ukrainian words, so they will reply full, full Russian. Although saying that, um, I had a very good friend who was from Eastern uh, Ukraine, but he, um, it was his decision um, to speak Ukrainian and um, um, I wouldn't necessarily tell that he's from the Eastern region, but uh, if you're talking about the stereotypical people, then yeah, I would be able to uh, recognize where they are from. Sure. I mean, what, what are you taught at school? Ukrainian or Russian? What's like the main language then you're... Um, Ukrainian. All the documentation is Ukrainian. Schools uh, taught uh, Ukrainian. Um, so, yeah. Okay. But when you were growing up, you were, Ukraine, you were not part of Soviet Union, right? Is that correct? No, I'm not at all, no. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> I mean, that's one question quite interesting. Like, what you're taught in school, going back to the history which you outlined here, um, mm -hmm. how much of this history you taught how far back do you go? I mean, is certain aspects maybe um, almost removed from the history books or how well, because again, this history is crazy. I'm looking at it last few days, just having a bit of a read on it. It's so interesting, but it changes hands so many times. It's so diverse. How do you get taught that in school? You know, like, uh, you know, throughout your whole uh, history lessons in, in school? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Starting from the tribes who were wandering around Ukraine through the Kiev Rus and um, all further. And um, what we were taught in school is actually um, when Cossacks were wiped off, we were uh, taught that how bad this uh, Russians were, how they limited uh, language and things like that. So it, I think it was a little bit of a propaganda. Well, fair enough, but still it was um, quite stressed on this term. So yeah, all of the events we were taught at school, there were, were no parts that were hidden. Or maybe they were, but because they were hidden, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, exactly that. And it was all in Ukrainian, um, which is interesting because when I went to the university, um, I had half Ukrainian, half Russian. So it depends on what lecturers choose to talk. But um, it was a little bit difficult considering that uh, you knew all the terminology in Ukrainian and then you suddenly uh, need to understand, well, use different one in Russian. So that was a little bit challenging, but... Uh, that's interesting. I mean, how, how different are the two languages? Because I know, again, doing some reading, there, there's a kind of... Um, base language which is inferred in Russian, Ukraine and Belarusian, right? Mm -hmm. Those three, those three languages are kind of infused from one maybe fundamental language. So how, 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 how do the languages sort of differ between the two? Is it quite um, I think you have around 60% uh, words overlapping. Um, so basically being, um, being Ukrainian, I, I understand Belarusian, for example, although I've never uh, learned that, but it just uh, shows um, how um, words overlapping works. But some of the words are completely different and some words sound the same, but they mean completely different things in two languages. So um, th that's why I say when, uh, I tr um, when I try to speak Ukrainian, I sound like a robot because some <laughs> words are so similar that it takes me, and some are different. So it takes my brain longer to process that and uh, try to put this in the correct language. Um, yeah, but in general, they are, uh, I think when you, I don't know how it would be for foreigners who learn that, uh, but um, I think that for the, for people around that area, they just can um, comfortably swap from one to another. Interesting stuff. All right, so moving on to, um post-Soviet Union, we kind of touched on it earlier. I just want to know, what, you, what, what was that, like the feeling in Ukraine around that time? Because obviously you were a brand new country in 91. Um, I know you probably were way too young to actually know firsthand, you know, what was going on and what the experiences was like. But I don't know, maybe in hindsight, looking back now or speaking to family and stuff growing up, what can you tell us about just the general feeling in Ukraine and how, how was it doing as a brand new country at the time? I like how you just completely skipped the Soviet Union. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, being British. Um, so um, I sort of, I remember a few bits and pieces. And um, so when we became a modern country, there were a lot of things that, um, well, the good example was money. So in Soviet Union, people um, held their money in the like uh, Soviet Union um, bank. It, it wasn't a bank, it was like, yeah, the main financial area. And when um, Ukraine split it out, all of this money were lost. So um, basically people just took them. And um, that was a good indication of how unsafe people felt uh, because they, in Soviet Union, you sort of were protected. So you had your money, you know that if you're a big family, you would give a uh, place, well, you, you know that you would have a job, you would have place to live, you are completely secure and um, safe. And then when um, we separated, it was a lot of unknown and a lot of things that were very frustrating for the people. Um, and um, yeah, they didn't know what, what to expect next. And it was, um, it was quite difficult for some of the people which literally broke them mentally um, of this unknown part. And I think that's what um, 
you know, sometimes when people ask me what it is to be Ukrainian, I think it, um, you are like a cockroach. You can uh, survive in any circumstances, but I think that's um, what defines us being the cockroaches because when we split it out, um, people were needed to find the new way to live, completely new, it's completely changed the mentality, especially for the generation of my mom and my grandpa parents. They were completely lost and it's like building everything from scratch. And uh, some of the things um, in the 1990s, um, there were a lot of criminals around. This was just crazy times. So you needed to build things uh, from scratch, um, not in safe environment itself. And I think there were there was a lot of fear around. Um, I'm saying that some of the people um, were saying, "Oh yeah, that's great. That's such a nice thing to do. We are not the Soviet Union anymore." But um, it was quite a difficult time uh, after that, and I think we are still experience we are still experiencing it um, because um, I don't think things got much safer. So. Um, I, th I think it got better, it gets better. And uh, if Ukraine, Ukraine joins European Union, it will be even even better. But uh, our first years as a proper country, they were quite stormy. And I think that storm just reflected on the future years as well. Yeah. Um, actually, you just reminded me of one thing I wanted to ask, um, and this is going into the Soviet Union territory now. Um, there was an event in the 30s, 1932, 33, I believe, um, Holodomor. Holodomor, yeah. yeah, it was a great Ukrainian famine, which was um, when food was sort of being confiscated and all that by Stalin to Ukrainians, where I think it led to the deaths of millions of people, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. So obviously, I think in school, you being obviously Ukrainian independent country going to school, I'm assuming you must have been taught about this kind of event and how significant it was being under mm -hmm. Soviet rule at the time. But I'm wondering, mm -hmm. maybe from your parents, I don't know if you've spoken about this all, but was this something they ever got taught? Because their schooling would have been under Soviet rule, right? So when we're talking about certain topics and stuff being annexed out of the history books, kind of, is this something you know that they know much about or is this something they've been told about in hindsight or was it something they just ended up experiencing firsthand through just a sheer amount sheer, sheer number of people this in uh, impacted so my grandparents uh the children uh well and uh, my grandparents, uh, they uh, were around when it was first wave uh, of Holodomor and second one. So I think it was uh, 20s, 1920s and then 1930s. So there mm -hmm. were two of them. So okay. they were around on both of them. And they remember this pretty well because they didn't have any food. A lot of uh, people around were dying. And um, when, I, when I lived with my grandparents, uh, you were absolutely, absolutely prohibited to throw food away no way you could throw food away that that's how much they were um impacted by that yeah. and especially bread it's like it was like a scene to not finish the food you were given and um literally all the leftovers or whatever they were just transforming into new, new meal which i thought is crazy but then um, in my school, when I uh, taught about that, when I learned about that, and we learned about, there were there's also uh, a lot of literature around that. So that made my heart break, and I started to understand them. So my mom is the child of Soviet Union, and um, 
she was um, um, when she was in school and the things that she was taught, they sort of omitted this part. That, so they just, uh, what she was taught is that it was um, uh, quite, um, it was the problems with the food suppliers um, across all of the countries. So Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, and well, Belarus, I think not that much, but Ukraine and Russia and uh, a, lo a lot of people died, but that was it. But because obviously my grandparents were telling the stories about that, so she knew, but uh, there were some of the topics that you don't uh, challenge and you just repeat what you're told. Um, so yeah, uh, when I was in school, it was quite a big topic and um, um, all the literature, all the stories, everything, it was uh, taught in details. Yeah. But I think um, the main thing for me were my grandparents um, and uh, their stories uh, rather than um, the stories in books. Well, apart from some of them were really heartbreaking. So I still remember me reading the first story and I was crying for weeks after that of how sad they made the sound. But um, yeah, my grandparents could make the same stories. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. That sounds, yeah, sounds bad. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's go fast forward a bit again, uh, post Soviet okay. Union. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were talking about growing up um, in the 90s and, uh, and beyond. What was the mm -hmm. sort of political landscape, again, whatever you can remember or what you've been taught? Because obviously I know where the Orange Revolution in 2004 and um, 10 years later, there was another one, I believe. But um, yeah, from your uh, remembrance experience, uh, let's talk a bit about the politics and the uh, how that changed hands across Ukraine? Um, well, I think because we we're a modern country and um, if you didn't, um, it was uh, a little bit chaotic. Um, but Ukraine has a good land, so that's why a lot of um, our countries around try to invade this and um, a lot of people on government now wants to get hold of this um, and apart from land we are sort of in the beginning of the gas transition in the middle of the gas transition from Russia to Europe so you know that can give you a lot of money as well um, so musical chairs start again but um, between the people in government so who wants to have Ukraine, um, Ukraine and who wants to rule Ukraine and um, after our first uh, two presidents, I think after Kuchma, um, other president, they sort of tried to play on the thing that you mentioned before as uh, um, as different regions, people uh, supporting different parts of so Europe and um, Russia. And that's what um, helped, um, well, and th that's how they drive their program. Um, so yeah, we had, um, so the first revolution was the high, uh, um, orange revolution that um, um, right was Yushchenko versus Yanukovych, I believe, and Yanukovych was very um, rush pro-Russian um, and um, criminal um, and things like that. Um, so people said that he was uh, in prison. Uh, I think he was, but uh, people who support him said that's not something important. I don't know. I'm not that good at the politics. I'm just telling you what I uh, what I was uh, sure, sure. seeing. And then there was um, um, 
uh, Yushchenko on another side. So he was like sort of, you know, cool guy, Ukraine, Europe, and <laughs> so nice and friendly. Um, and then um, as far as I remember, the election went and Yanukovych won and people said, oh, that can't be legitimate. And the revolution started. And it's called Orange Revolution because the color of Yushchenko on elections were orange. And people who supported him started wearing their orange ribbons and um, going around. And that's where the first Maidan started. And a lot of jokes about Ukrainian history now is like um, people are unhappy with government. They have Maidan. They change government. They're unhappy. They have Maidan. And we go in circles. <laughs> so um, I think it Wait, was... Wait, just our... go back. What? Maidan. Maidan just means square, right? It's not yeah. just a square. So That's specific square. So it means That's, square, okay. but... It, it means square it is, but we have the central square in Kiev, mm -hmm. uh, which called Maidan Nezolashnosti, which is uh, fair enough, it's quite wrong to say. Uh, so people just call this Maidan, um, and um, that's where it's uh, all started. Um, so yeah, it was first revolution. I think, well, I was quite, well, I was a teenager then, center of revealing my age, um, but um, um, I, I so my mother thought it is stupid, and um, that it won't take us anywhere. And I sort of, uh, yeah, 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 fair enough. Um, uh, why the hell I should spend all my night uh, sitting on the Maidan uh, protesting when I can, I don't know, watch TV or something. Um, yeah. You can watch, you can watch the Maidan from TV. Why go there, isn't it? <laughs> True, but uh, all my friends were going there regularly um, and I was like, well, what it will change. So I was quite skeptical. Saying that on the another Maidan, I wasn't. So I, I thought that with age you get smarter, but it looks like it's not the case sometimes. Um, so, yeah, uh, I remember this as uh, because um, some of the, you couldn't go anywhere. So, well, you could go anywhere, but that was like um, some of the main streets they were occupied with, with people protesting and things like that. So, yeah, some said that it wasn't uh, safe to go there. And, um, yeah, I didn't. Um, so, but a lot of people were wearing orange things and um, orange attributes. I think it was a good fun then because I'd, uh, protests were quite friendly and all of this was so nice. And um, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a peaceful that was a peaceful protest, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. In compared to maybe other ones, subsequent ones, but yeah, yeah, it sounds interesting. So, Viktor uh, Yanukovych, he initially won the elections, but. Um, there was apparently what election rigging and all this stuff going on, but he kind of won mm -hmm. unfairly. So the mm -hmm. su Supreme Court or whoever reversed the decision and then all these um, uh, Yushchenko, Victor Yushchenko fans who wore these mm -hmm. orange ribbons, etc., they got their man mm -hmm. in power to be president. Is that right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's interesting. So then talk to us about the, sec the, 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 the next time they all gathered in the Maidan. What was the reason behind that one? Well, um prerequisite for that um yanukovych found his way to the to be a president and um at this time ukraine was looking into joining european union and uh, he said no um and um basically yeah that we will look into russia not europe and um ukrainians who well obviously going to the europe uh, will be better for us as Europe is quite developed. Um, there are a lot about the human rights, so um, no questions why people wanted to go there. So they went to Maidan again, and they wanted. There were weren't many people, um, 
much less than when Orange Revolution were. They were just protesting and saying that they want uh, to go uh, to be part of Europe. Um, and um, one night, um, the police just came and um, they wanted to remove people from Maidan and they were very violent. Um, so they beat a lot of uh, even women and um, like children. Um, so um, after that happened, uh, around two millions came to Maidan on the next day <laughs> to say, you, you, you can't remove all of us. Um, and that's where another um, revolution started. But uh, police said, oh, we can try. Um, so it was quite violent uh, with shooting and um, uh, Molotov cocktails everywhere. So a, a lot of people died there. So that's quite sad part of uh, history. And all, all the time when we had the second Maidan, Crimea was taken by Russia. Well. It was a referendum and uh, looks like uh, people in Crimea decided to be part of Russia, which is fair enough because uh, Crimea was mostly part of Russia anyway before that. It was given to Ukrainian SSSR, but um, I can believe that people wanted to be there, but the way it happened um, and uh, this referendum and things like that just make it look like it was taken and um, it was, uh, yeah, there were a lot of Russian military there, so no chance, uh, uh, it's quite hard to believe if people have referendum when there are a lot of uh, Russian army there and it would be absolutely fair enough. Um, or maybe it's me talking, uh, or maybe it's me being Ukrainian saying that Russians have a different view on this, but... Oh, the, um, you're I, right, because they were reporting these, what is it, the little green men in Crimea, um, they yeah. kept saying, like, they weren't really being obvious that they're Russian, but it was obvious, uh, you know, outsiders. Um, yeah, that's interesting, the Crimean one. You see, even the, the, the um, um, shit, I've forgotten that word, what did you just say? Referendum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the word. Even that was kind of, um, it wasn't something which was genuinely, apparently genuinely wanted at the time. It's something which, yeah. like you said, these little green men came in and they kind of, uh, provoked or you know spread propaganda or something to maybe invoke that um, yeah like you said they are main they were mainly Russian so come blame them I guess I don't know yeah 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 that's fair enough as I said but it just the way it happened so understand that uh, so Crimea wanted uh, Crimea wanted to be independent or they wanted to be uh, part of Russia there were a lot of what I taught in schools that all Crimea is sort of separate but yeah, it's just the way it happened. It's just like military coming to our land and saying, oh, you know what, you are taking that, so, sort of. Uh, so that's what made a lot of people unhappy. And it made me unhappy because uh, Crimea is a special place for me. And um, my best memories are from the Crimea. So knowing that I can't go there makes me absolutely sad. Um, and um, yeah, it's like, a hand being chopped. Um, I just said, probably I can talk for hours of why Crimea was so uh, special for me. Well, tell, tell, tell us more about that. Tell us more about Crimea for those of us who just see it as a point on the map and not haven't been there. Um, that's absolutely a wonderful place. Um, I think it's like um, it's very cozy, and although there are some. Um, because it's on the sea, a lot of people go there for holidays, obviously, but the nature there and um, some special atmosphere, it makes you feel like home. Um, and um, yeah, I used to go there a lot for climbing and for um, 
campaign uh, so I didn't I wasn't I wasn't spending time on those, you know, stereotypical resorts, um, but just wandering around the mountains and caves um, and seas. So uh, that was quite nice. And there were parts of um, Crimea where no one lives. So you literally can go to some places. You can be surrounded by um, mountains and just have a see the star sky without any artificial lights. That was amazing. I spent funny. a lot of time. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in their mountains, and um, people there are very friendly. So it's quite nice. And you know, sometimes when you, well, you don't know that because you're from UK, but uh, when you live in the warm countries, you know, there's a special feeling of freedom, and you know, you can do whatever you want and have this feeling. So that, that's what I got in Crimea. I don't know how to explain this. Maybe. Um, it's about warm nights or anything else, but you just, you don't feel these restrictions. But um, again, you don't know this being uh, British. Um, <laughs> I quite enjoy that then. It's probably that burst of vitamin D you're getting, I think. That's what it sounds like. But yeah, I can imagine it seems like a nice place. Awesome, awesome. All right, um, going back to politics, one person in particular I'm quite intrigued about, um, again, reading up on Yulia Timoshenko. Now, Again, from reading, from writing, saying she was the first female prime minister of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, I know she had maybe a series of runner-up uh, finishes in the in certain presidential elections. Um, like uh, Yushchenko, she was pro-Euro and for Ukraine to sort of join NATO, etc. Mm -hmm. And she was sort of against Russian-led uh, Eurasian Customs Union, mm -hmm. which was like whoever that is: it's Russia, Belarus, um, uh, Armenia. Kazakhstan and someone, Kyrgyzstan, something. Um, anyway, she's got a really interesting background. Um, she was imprisoned as well, this, that, and the other. Can you give us more, just tell us more about her and maybe the, the stories behind her? Because obviously, this is just, yeah, this is just, a, this is not an in depth sort of understanding. I think you read about politics more than I did. Um, what it seemed to me is that <laughs> she was always uh, on TV. She was seeking power and she was joining everyone who could help you help her with that. Um, I remember her as being a very dramatic woman and just being like, you know, uh, playing on the emotions and things like that and just changing constantly depending on what she thought uh, people will support. Um, so yeah, she was supporting Yushchenko, but I don't know whether it was legitimate support or she thought that she can um, use this um, to get the power later. And then uh, she didn't get this, so she wanted um, to try her own career. And but people remembered her before and all of her switching and things. So I don't know whether there will be a lot of trust there. So yeah, I remember her everywhere, but nowhere. If it does make sense. Why was she uh, put in prison? Do you know there any details around that? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. Okay. Fair I, fair I, 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 yeah, sorry. Um, sorry. I, if I say something, it might be um, wrong. Mm, no, that's fine. I know uh, she, again, through reading, she was involved with um, gas and energy and all that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think she was charged in the gas case. But again, I don't know for a reason and how legit it was. Um, talk to us a bit about this gas and energy. Um, sort of thing going on in Ukraine through, through the years like I can't remember I was talking to someone I, I, it might have even been you before this pod but um, something about the roots of getting gas from Russia 
into Ukraine goes through a certain area which is sort of vital and if you cut that off it's kind of really detrimental towards um, Ukraine and how they sort of uh, maintain this sort of reserve. Um, yeah, what, what's the situation with that? Because it is quite a big topic, I think, the gas industry or requirements of Ukraine, right? Well, you asked me questions, which I, uh, so I'm not one of these guys who spent all the time on the uh, news website and know everything about politics. Um, I'm, I think I'm absolutely opposite. Um, what I know is that uh, basically Ukraine is the route for Russia to transport gas from them to Europe. And if you uh, catch, if you cut Ukraine off, they won't be able to do that. So that, that's I know that. That was you. Now I remember it was you who told me that. Okay. So you, are, you definitely know more. All right, carry on, sorry. No, 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 no way. So I know that they are looking for some other routes not via Ukraine, but um, obviously Ukraine is uh, on the way and uh, it know, it know, Ukraine knows that it is required for uh, gas transition, so why not take advantage of this? Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense. It's interesting. Um, all right, well, What's the latest in Ukraine though? What's kind of the, it doesn't have to be political, what's the kind of landscape like now, the feeling, how close they are to Europe or Russia? I mean, you know, all these stuff we're talking about um, and the Maidan. What's, the, what's going on at the moment? Um, well, um, the, so after Crimea was taken, um, Russia still tries, well, Russia tries to invade the uh, eastern Ukraine which uh, they said they don't, but they were supporting people who um, created their own countries as uh, Donetsk uh, People Republic and Luhansk uh, People Republic. And there's no way people in those areas can fight uh, Ukrainian army without any support. It just, so basically it is um, between the lines, it is um, still the war between Russia and Ukraine for the East. Um, and a lot of my friends of mine just talking that well, they're talking about as uh, quite mean jokes saying that just Russia tries to get uh, all Ukraine back. Um, so I think a, a lot of people died at the beginning uh, of these uh, situations, and I think well, it, it still carry uh, carries on, um, which is quite sad knowing that well, basically we have war in our country and a lot of people are going there and they're dying. Um, so that's quite sad and especially in considering that we are in modern world um so i think it does impact what happens on the um, other part of ukraine so um or it doesn't i don't know um so when you start thinking about that that makes you very sad and uh well i don't i'm i'm far well i don't know politics enough so maybe there is something that you can do but um, I don't know what it is. So, and some people they just denying that, and they keep um, living in other parts of Ukraine as everything is normal and um, everything is fine and uh, that's developing country. But um, these events are always there. Um, in terms of what you asked about the um, pro-European or whatever and how that looks, um, so 
when it was Soviet Union, it was all about Russian language, all Russian and things like that. You can't progress if you don't speak Russian. And that's the reason actually I'm speaking Russian just because my grandfather was military and he was told that he can't progress if he speaks Ukrainian. So he gave up Ukrainian, he started speaking Russian. And then obviously, as I said, my mom was child of Soviet Union, so she just followed and she was speaking Russian. So, but I think now it becomes opposite. So um, everything is Ukrainian um, and uh, it's sort of, it feels like the language is being forced too much. Um, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these people who were saying, oh my God, speaking Russian is so difficult in Ukraine. I, I always thought that that's choice of people and um, I've never faced the discrimination or anything of the way I speak. But I think what um, happens now um, is um, so I can give you examples. So when I want to buy some books and um, when it's just easier for me to read in Russian, I can read Ukrainian, but it's just, uh, you know, if I can choose the language, I would go for Russian. And when I go to the bookstores, there is nothing in Russian. Well, you can order online, but you know, this magic of going to the bookstore and uh, seeing books and buying some, I, I can't do that because everything oh. is Ukrainian. Yeah. I mean, what if you wanted a book which was written in Russian? And hasn't been maybe translated into Ukrainian, for example. You there wouldn't find that on your books off, right? No. no. Okay, so I mean, I guess that's kind of Ukrainian nationalism in the sense if they're not allowing these certain passages, right? Yeah. To be fair, again, it's only my opinion. I think it's just too extreme. So we went from being very Russian to very Ukrainian, and um, yeah, I still think that that would be good if people can choose um, and being speaking Russian doesn't make uh, me less Ukrainian and doesn't uh, make me not like the country and not seeing this country as a separate country and have, was having um, the, um, a lot of historical past, which I'm proud of, it's just the language I speak. But um, now it's, uh, yeah, uh, it's a funny one. Interesting. Uh, what's your... Uh just going to tie up here. I just want a few little questions. So what is your, um, what's your favorite thing about Ukraine or what's the thing I know you may miss the most or something like that. But you know, again, this is for people, a lot of us who haven't been out there yet. Um, just talk to us about that. Um, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, so first one is obviously warm nights. So when you can walk all the nights around and you are warm and uh, you just feel this nice feeling and it's uh, completely beautiful. Um, and second one is, um, I'm actually a big fan of Soviet architecture. Um, and like, um, I think it's like Soviet brutalism. I think they call this social modernism or whatever, but they, this geometric, um, uh, buildings they're just absolutely amazing I know that London has them um, as well and that's why when I'm in London I sort of go to these places just because it reminds me about home but uh, buildings they are just something that I absolutely adore and they're so cosmic some of them that it's amazing it's not just Ukrainian it's uh, in other countries as well but uh, yeah but something I really miss and um, obviously people um, I know that people from different countries, they think that people from their country are the best. Um, I, don't, I don't think that, but it's just this uh, natural connection to me uh, with those people. Um, so I, I think it will be 
uh, quite specific for myself in terms of what I can recommend um, tourists if they decide to go uh, to that middle of nowhere um, it's probably the nice where, where there are a lot of fun a lot of cheap fun um, and um, a lot of bars and things and I think it's quite interesting to watch um, the country as it develops uh, because you write 19 well 1990s were absolutely crazy absolutely new country and it's quite interesting to see how it changes because we are still on that way and a lot of countries in Europe, they're already there. they like all the European, all the unified and um, mm. I don't want to offend anyone, but a lot of them look very similar to me. Whilst we are still uh, on our, again, sorry, I, I didn't want to offend anyone, but... No, of course. Um, you guys yeah. done your journey is what you mean. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, where, where, do you, where do you see this journey going? Like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but where, what do you see for the future of Ukraine then? as a whole, as an entity? Um, good question. Um, or, I don't know. What would you like to see? What would you like to see, if, if that's easier? Um, I wanted to, uh, well, ideally, I wanted to, um, Ukraine to be part of European Union, obviously. And then, um, but um, I don't want, so in my dreams, I would like um, Ukraine to be a little bit like Scandinavian countries where people feel finally safe, um, where there are a lot of done for people, for children, for families. And it's not like you need to fight for every small thing. It's just there and you get support from the government. Um, but you, you also have your own identity, identity, if you see what I mean. Uh, so, if, so if European Union goes that direction, and um, I, I don't know how you call this political uh, form of Scandinavian countries. Um, how do you call this? Something about social, it's partially uh, socialistic, isn't it? I, I'm uh, not sure, I might, I might be completely wrong, but um, yeah, if European Union goes that direction and become more human rights and things like that, well, to be fair, I would like that for UK as well. Um, but um, I would like Ukraine go that uh, route as well at some point. Yeah. And um, I'd like Ukrainians to keep their identity because it's quite, it's quite cute and funny. Um, and I quite like uh, the culture and the, uh, all of these small, you know, historical uh, things appear in the modern art and things like that. But probably with uh, bookstores, with Russian books, that would be amazing. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Awesome. All right. Um, all right. Well, I guess let's end on this final point. Um, are we going to see you run for prime minister of Ukraine anytime soon? Oh, no way. To, to be fair, I know so little <laughs> about politics that there's no way I can even think about some of the government roles. It's fine. Just pretend like, you know, pretend like you know and just put, put on a happy smile. Happy uh, to be face. fair, I, I think that's what... Uh, what uh, people in government do across all of the countries, but <laughs> I think I would be crap at pretending. <laughs> all right, Julia, um, this has been interesting, definitely informative, and um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Yeah, I hope I didn't make any mistakes, so. No, because it's all, it's all informative and um, we all learn a lot, so thanks very much for your time. It's been absolutely no great. Worries. All right, people, stay safe. See you soon. Bye-bye.